This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, what I want to talk to you about this day is uh, Papa's presence. Now, you've probably been, if you've been around a little bit of time at all, you've heard me. That's just kind of what has happened over the years. I just call Father Papa. And I've seen it in quite a few translations where where it talks about Abba, Father. And it actually says it in the scriptures. And Jesus even referred to his father as Papa. And uh, it's just a a term of endearment. And it's really drawn me closer to God. And really uh, worked uh, miraculously in my own prayer life. So, I want to talk about Papa's presence Tonight, last week we were talking about, you know, fatherhood, natural fatherhood. We were talking about the fatherhood of God. And I'd like to continue on that kind of a concept, the theme about our heavenly father, Papa's presence with us. In the book of Mark, listen to what it says here. Mark chapter 14, verse 35, it says, and this is in the message Bible, it says, going a little ahead, this is Jesus, before he went to the cross, Going out, he's praying with his disciples. Going a little ahead, he fell, this is Jesus, he fell to the ground and prayed for a way out. And this is what Jesus said. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this? Take this cup away from me? But please, not what I want. What do you want? It's in the Message Bible. It says, not my will be done, Father. Not my will be done, Papa. But your will be done. Nobody really wants to go to the cross. You know, nobody really wants to suffer the pain. But he says, not my will. I want your will to be done. And I'm so glad that that's what Jesus said. And that's what took place. Um, This passage, I'm going to read out of Psalm 68, verse 4. This passage honors our Papa God. It says, sing praises to God. That's what we did with our worship team here tonight. That's what we do every Saturday night, every Sunday morning, every Sunday at 11. And I believe that's what a lot of us do in our homes. Day by day, morning, noon, and evening, We try to honor God by singing praise from the time the sun rises until it sets. The name of our God should be praised. And it says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. Can't you see God riding the clouds? Now, Benjamin sent me this uh, new shirt to wear. And it's got surfboards on it. And I've tried to go surfing a couple of times, but I like these surfboards because they're red, white, and blue. But I was imagining when I read this passage, it says here, it says, sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. Can't you see God surfing on the clouds, catching another wave of a big old white fluffy cloud, and he's, you know, catching that wave, and he's surfing around through the sky? God can do anything he wants to. Kind of like snowboarding. But this is kind of like uh, cloudboarding, you know. Uh, anyhow, I just said, man, I, I can visualize God doing that. I think God is cool. I think he's awesome. I think he's fun to hang out with. But it says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. <laughs> His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. And I'm going to tell you what, no matter what's going on with this virus, you do not have to social distance with God. You can just get as close as you want to him. Let him get as close as he wants to you, you know, because he loves you. He's just crazy about you. But the latter part of this, verse 6, it says, rejoice. No, verse, it's the latter part of verse 4. Rejoice in his presence. And when you know you're in his presence, you, you just can't hardly hold that joy back. It's like, oh, God's here. 
He's on the move. He's surfing on them clouds up there. He's here answering my prayers. He's here showing you and me that he loves us and he's crazy about us. We're not an afterthought to God or God's going, eh, I'll get around to you in a couple of weeks or something or another. No, he loves us. He loves you special. Absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. Our Papa's presence, it makes a huge difference in your life, has made a huge difference in my life when I recognize that God is present, when I acknowledge his presence with me, you know. Fantastic. Verse 5 says, Father to the fatherless. You know, that's talking about me. It's talking about Susan. Our earthly dads, Susan's earthly dad went on to be with the Lord probably about 22 years ago, I think it was. My dad went to be with the Lord 20, 21 years ago. So if, as far as earthly dads, we don't have no earthly dad here. But we're happy and we're thankful because we absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know our earthly dads are no longer earthly. <laughs> They're with Almighty God. But he says he will be a father to the fatherless. And he has never left or forsaken us. Has he ever left us or forsaken us? Not at all. He's been there every step of the way. He's helped us. And I declare that Papa God is present right here with us. Whether you see him or feel him or not, don't make no difference. He's here with us right now. He goes on to say, not only is he a father to the fatherless, but he's a defender of widows. If you're a widow, no, you're not alone. Almighty Papa God is there with you, taking care of you, to defend you. That's what the scripture says. Defender of the widows. This is God, Papa God, whose dwelling is holy. God places, verse 6 says, God places the lonely people in families. And you know what? That's what the church is. It's a family. That's what life groups are all about. And all the fat, you know, uh, facets of the local church, that's God's family where he reaches out and he loves his children because he don't want you to be alone. He don't want you to be lonely at all. He says he's a defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. And he sets the prisoners, no matter what you've been a prisoner to, no matter what you've been chained by, it says he sets the prisoners free, free from every chain that ever has bound us. He sets, this is Papa God, he sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. Gives them joy. And the joy of the Lord and our relationship with him, it is our strength. He enables us. He gives us his power through that joy and our relationship with him. Now, I've shared this with you, I don't know, probably a dozen times since we've been here. We, we're kind of new kids on the block here, aren't we? This October, we'll have been here 40 years. But I was uh, sharing years ago, I discovered this, and I want to share it again for a reason. That there was an atheist, and uh, he once came into this little old town, and he went to the town green, and they had a little, you know, platform up there where they would do special things. And this uh, atheist, he came up there, took, you know, the center stage of this little platform there. And he says, if there is a God, that's the way he started it off. And he kept challenging God and trying to draw a big crowd of people around him. He said, if there is a God, I'll give you 60 seconds to strike me dead. And then he talked to a few. He said, and if, and if God don't strike me dead, it proves that he don't exist. That's what this atheist said. So he get up there again. And he challenged God. If you exist, strike me dead. And I'm going to count it off. You got 60 seconds. He's trying. He, he'd go all kinds of towns and, and do that to try to disprove that God existed at all. You know? It's kind of like a little child. You know? Can you imagine this for a moment? You know? You're a little child, two, maybe three years old, you know, and you go up to your, your papa. You go up to papa. Maybe you've been in orphans for a while, and, and this papa came with his wife and adopted you, 
And now he's got these fears and this doubt. And this little kid, two, three years old, comes up. If you're really my papa, strike me dead in 60 seconds. Prove that you're my papa by striking me dead. Who in the world would ever respond to such a, you know, accusation like that? Would a loving papa strike his kid dead to prove that he is their papa? No way. And some old atheist who is a foolish man, the Bible tells us that the fool has said it in his heart, there is no God, would ever challenge God to do something foolish. You think you can exhaust the, the love and the mercy and the patience, the kindness of God in 60 seconds? Never. And God never would, you know, respond to some kind of idiotic challenge like that. Did I say idiotic? Is that okay to say in church? I didn't say it. It's an idiotic challenge what it was, you know. Anyhow, a loving father would never show himself by such a foolish challenge. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See how very much our father, our papa God, see how very much our father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. And they surely don't sense his presence. But just because you don't know my dad or my mom or my brother or my sister, just because you don't know them don't mean that they don't exist. And just because you don't know my God don't mean that he don't exist, you know. So just remember what the Bible says. God is love. And you can never exhaust his patience and his love with a foolish challenge like that atheist had made of God once upon a time. Now, the Jewish leaders took offense that Jesus called God his father. They were pretty upset about it. Here in the book of John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father never stops working. So why should I? Is what Jesus is saying. He said, my father never stops working, so why should I? Well, he was in essence saying, like father, like son. So I'm touching people's lives and I'm healing the sick, even on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus was doing. And in verse 18, so the Jewish leaders tried all the more to kill him. In addition to disobeying the Sabbath rules, he had spoken of God as his father. Boy, they was bent out of shape about that when Jesus referred to God as his father, as his papa, God. They didn't like that at all. Thereby making himself equal with God. Papa God. He, he, he referred to him and the religious leaders did not like the fact that he claimed such intimate relationship with the Almighty, with the Most High. Verse 19 says, Jesus replied, I assure you, the Son, referring to himself, the Son of God, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father. His Papa God is what he's talking about. He, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father, his papa, does, the son also does. Like father, like son is what he's saying. Children are greatly influenced by their papa. It, it has a dynamic impact upon their life. And Jesus referred to the almighty, the most high, the father as being his father. The Abba Father, the Papa God, his Papa God. And religious people didn't care for that. Verse 20 goes on to say, For the Father loves the Son and tells him everything he is doing. He said, I got my marching orders every day from my Father who loves me and he loves you. And I'm here on a mission to help you. On a short flight from Tucson to Phoenix, I noticed a young man... I'm sorry, a young woman with her baby. They were both dressed in white dresses. The mother was smiling, and the little baby was saying, Dada, Dada, and the little baby was darling. She wore a little pink bow. Her hair would probably be pretty soon. 
It was just darling. They sat down opposite me, and every time anybody went by, the baby would say, Dada, Dada. The young mother said they were going home, and Daddy was waiting for them. I think they had been gone, like, overnight. (laughs) It was a long, long time like that. And everybody was so happy. And we all enjoyed the little baby. And the mother had a little thermos with some orange juice in it. And she kept feeding the baby a little fruit and then a little bit of juice. It was a rough light. Every time the baby cried, the mother fed her a little bit more orange juice and a little bit more fruit. The flight was so rough, the attendants had to stay seated. All the fruit that had gone down then came up. I think more came up than had actually gone down. It was startling. The carpet, the seats, the mom, some passengers were not in good condition at all. It was an unbelievable mess. We kept trying to tell the young mother it was just fine. We were handing her tissues and things. Most of us have been babies. (laughs) It was a very loving time, but a mess. The baby was crying, and she looked awful. We couldn't cry, but we looked awful. The mother was so sorry about it. We landed. The minute we landed, baby was fine. Dada, dada. The rest of us were just awful. We began to get off the plane, and we all moved very carefully. I had on a suit, and I was trying to decide whether to burn it or just cut off the sleeves. Have you ever tried to get away from something really unpleasant, and it was you? (laughs) Well, that's the way we were. We were really bad. I looked out the plane, and there waiting was the young man who had to be daddy. White slacks and a white shirt, white flowers and a little green paper. I thought, I know what's going to happen. He's going to run to that baby who now looks awful. The hair, the little white dress was dreadful. He's going to run to that little baby, get one look, and then keep on running saying, not my kid, not my kid. And as he ran to the young mother, I wouldn't say she threw the baby at him, but she did kind of leave really quick to go get cleaned up. He picked up that baby, and I watched him as he hugged that baby and kissed that baby and stroked that baby's hair, and he said, Daddy's baby, come home. Daddy's baby, come home. I watched him all the way to the luggage claim area. He Never stopped kissing that baby. He never stopped welcoming that baby back home. I thought, where did I ever get the idea that my father God is less loving than a young daddy in white slacks, a white shirt and white flowers and a green paper? Do you think God is as loving to us as that daddy was to his little baby girl? I'm going to tell you, God loves you and he's crazy about you. And he's always there for you. I don't care what kind of a mess you created. He's there to love you and to clean you up, forgive you, do whatever he needs to do to help you out. And he will never back away and get away from you because of the mess you've been in. I'm telling you, Papa God's presence makes everything different. He changes us. There's an old song I heard it years ago, many, many times. And anytime Billy Graham was ever in some great grand uh, arena somewhere, teaching and all. At the end, when he invited people to come accept Christ, they always played this song. It was called, Just As I Am. And here's the words of one of the verses. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, with fruit, and fruit juice, and throw up, and whatever else is around there. Just the way that little baby girl came to her father, we are a mess sometimes. And that old hymn, so powerful, just as I am, 
Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise, because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. God will always welcome you. You have never been so bad. You have never been in a mess so bad. You've never created the mess so bad that God holds his hands out from you. He just welcomes you just as you are, and he's the one who will clean you up. If you think, well, i got to get me all cleaned up before I come to God, it just won't happen. We can't quite do that. But we come to him, and he just cleans us up because he loves us so much. He genuinely does. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still a mess. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Just as I am, I come. Just as we am. That don't sound quite right. Just as we are, we come. And he cleans up the mess on the inside of us. You know, just as we are. We got to understand that. He loves us. He's crazy about us. Marianne Bird wrote, I grew up knowing that I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to other people. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. That's what they helped me to see very clearly. When schoolmates would ask, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I had fallen and I had cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was short, she was round, she was happy a sparkling lady. Annually, we had to have a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. And finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and it would have to be repeated back. Something like, the sky is blue. Or, do you have on new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life forever. Mrs. Leonard, she said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. I'm going to tell you something. Papa God says that to every person who has been deformed by sin. He says, I wish you was my little boy. I wish you was my little girl. And just as we are, just as we are, we can come to him and he changes us. His presence brings about a transformation in our life. If we'll just believe and we'll just receive him into our life. Hebrews Chapter 13, verse 3, it says, For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I wish you was my little boy. I wish you was my big boy. I wish you was my little girl. I wish you was my big girl. I wish you was mine. I welcome you to come to me. And he says, I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will have no fear. God wants us to become aware of his presence because God, Papa God, wants us to talk with him. I don't know if you've ever done that. You might have said a prayer that somebody else wrote, but have you just talked to God like your dear friend? He's crazy about you. He loves you. He knows your name. The Bible says he knows how many hairs is on your head and they're always changing. You know, listen to what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 7. It says, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when. He assumed we are. When you pray, you know, and that's just talking about talking with God who loves you so much, who's crazy about you, who will help you through every difficulty of life. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think, and they're mistaken, they just don't know. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. This is what Jesus said, you know. Prayers are really answered by having the faith or, or having, you know, the assurance that God hears you, he loves you, he's going to help you in your time of need. It's a confident expectation that God cares about me. That's why our prayers are answered. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, don't be like them. Don't just, you know, uh, say things over and over and over thinking that the more you say them, that God's going to hear. Because that's not the way we are toward our children. We hear our children say, I'm hungry or I got a splinter. We go right there and we help them right then. We don't, we don't go about those other ways. And he says, don't be like them because your father knows this is Jesus talking. He says, because your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. And he goes on to say, our higher power. Nah, he don't say that. Jesus says, pray like this. Our father, Papa God, our father, our father. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. You know, when it says hallowed be that mean name, that means holy. May your name be honored. I'm coming to you, Father, in the name of your Son. And I'm asking you, because that's what Jesus said when you pray, go to the Father, go straight to him. And see, we honor him by having faith to talk to him openly and honestly as we would to our dearest friend. That's just the truth of it, you know. The most wonderful sound to me is to hear my children's voice on the telephone. It's because they're older. When they were little, it's just to hear their voice, you know. Daddy, you know, and all. A great, fantastic sound to my ears is my children's voice. Anytime, day or night. And you know what? My mama has taught us something, and she uses this term all the time. And she says, any time, day or night, you can call. Any time, day or night, you can just come to my house and just come right on in. Any time, day or night. And this is what she says. She says, any time is a good time. I put her to the test one time. Susan and I had driven all the way down there. We got there in the middle of the night. And I called my mama. I was sitting on the porch. I said, Mama, how you doing? She said, I'm doing okay. I said, uh, can we come over for a visit? She said, yeah. And then I knocked on the door. And she opened the door. And she kind of stumbled a little bit. And she has made this statement so many times to me. And I know it's the heart of God who says it to us. Anytime is a good time. You can't pick a bad time to go to God. Whenever it is, you don't have to wait for a special occasion. You've already been invited. And that song that Billy Graham always did is so powerful, just as I am. I don't have to change nothing or fix nothing. I'm just going to come to you just the way I am. And God says what my mama tells us all the time. Anytime is a good time. You know, nothing is more important to Almighty God than you are his child coming to him. <laughs> And you know, when my kids were littler, and it still works now, but they were always welcome. They could bust into my office. If I had appointments, it didn't matter. It was a standing rule. You can always come into my office anytime you wanted to, you know. You could only stay for a few minutes, and then I'd rendezvous with you when I got done, but you could always just bust right in. So I was always available to them. And, and they might be coming in because they wanted something, you know, and that was okay too. But God is that way. Anytime is a good time to bust in on him as he's running this old world, you know. He loves us and he welcomes us to come to him. Monday night, August the 3rd, at the 1992 Olympics in 
Barcelona, Spain, at the track and field stadium, the gun sounded for the 400-meter semifinals. About 100 meters into the race, Britain's Derek Redmond crumpled to the track with a torn right hamstring. Metal co-attendants rushed out to assist him, but as they approached Redmond, he waved them all aside. He struggled to his feet. He crawled and hopped in a desperate effort to finish the race. Four years earlier, he had also qualified for the 1988 Olympics in Seoul, Korea. 90 seconds before his heat, he had to pull out of the Olympics because of an Achilles tendon problem. Following that injury, he had five surgeries, yet somehow he had qualified again for this 1992 Olympics. And he just suffered a career-ending injury. But he said to himself, I'm not quitting. I'm going to finish this race. He works his way, hopping and crawling at times, down the lane and up in the stands, a big guy wearing a T-shirt, tennis shoes, and a Nike cap that said, just do it. He, uh, across, across the front, it said, just do it. And out of the grandstands, he came and he hurled aside a security guard who tried to stop him from going out to his son, who was, this was uh, Jim, Derek Redmond's dad. And he came to his side and he embraced him. And Jim was one of those sports dads who changes his whole life for the sake of his athletic son. He changed jobs. He moved to find the best training for his son. Now, arm around his son's waist, Derek's arm around his dad's thick shoulders and neck, they continued down the track. Mom and sister were watching the race back home on television. His sister, went, well, who was pregnant, went into false labor. Mom was weeping, and there at the stadium, the crowd is standing, cheering Derek and his daddy as they worked their way around that track until finally, arm in arm, they cross the finish line. Does your Papa God care less for you than Derek's dad cared for him? God loves us so much. He loves you so much. And he will help you as you and I are running the race that has been set before us that the Bible talks about there in the New Testament. And no matter how much it hurts, are you determined to cross the finish line? Well, well, God said he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you and he'll help you every step of the way. That's what he promises. Psalms 103, verse 10 says, he, talking about Papa God, he has not punished us for all of our sins. Aren't you glad of that? He's not punished you for all your sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve. He forgives us. Thank you so much for all the forgiveness you have sent our way. It says he has not punished us for all of our sins, nor does he deal with us as we deserve for his unfailing. And that's talking about dependable, reliable, unshakable love. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. God loves you greater than the height of the heavens are above the earth. And that's just great. That's just un, unmeasurable. He goes on to say, he has removed, verse 12, he has removed our rebellious acts. He's forgiven us. He's removed our rebellious acts as far away from us as the east is from the west. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. Let's just say you come out here and we've, we promise to meet you at the end of every day and provide you dinner and, and breakfast and, and lunch and water and whatever else you need, but we want you to start walking west or east. It don't matter. And we're going to stay with you all day long. How many days or how many 
months, or how many years would it take you if you was walking west before you'd start walking east? Wouldn't ever happen. Because you can just walk west around this whole planet, and west is always going to be west, and east is always going to be east. You can walk from the, the uh, South Pole to the North Pole, and you'll get there. You know, or from the North Pole to the South Pole, you can get there, but not from east to west. It's unending. And the Bible says that God will separate our sins. He remove our rebellious acts as far away from us as the east is from the west. And you can't measure it. It's just too, too, too far. The east is from the west. And he says he'll... he'll uh, Remove that rebellious act because he loves us. Verse 13 says, the Lord is like a father, Papa God, to his children, tender and compassionate, those who fear him. For he understands how weak we are. You know, uh, Derek's, Redmond's dad, understood how weak his son was. And he came out there, and all those security guards tried to stop him. He, he's a big old guy. He just pushed him out of the way. So I'm getting there to my son. I'm going to help him. He knew how weak he was. He knew what he'd gone through. And God knows how weak you are, and he knows what you've been through. And he's always going to be there for us. And he goes on to say here, for he understands how weak we are. He knows we're only dust. And he's going to be there for us because he loves us. He cares about us. I'm telling you, God's crazy about us. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. He's talking about you. Look to somebody in your room, wherever you happen to be. Call somebody on the telephone if you want to and say, God's talking about you. He's talking about you. This verse is talking about you. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Verse 7 goes on to say, The Lord did not choose you and lavish his love on you because you were larger or greater than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. He didn't choose you because you were so wonderful and so great. It was simply because the Lord loves you. And each of us as individuals, it's not because we have so much accomplishments that God loves us. He just loves us. We're his special treasure. That's just the truth of it. Because he loves us. He didn't choose us because, oh, well, you're smarter than that one or bigger than that one or stronger. No, he loves us. He's just crazy about us. And because he was keeping the oath, he had sworn to your ancestors, he's going to take care of us. That's what he promised. That is why the Lord rescued you with such amazing power from your slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. And God is ever present with us. You know, the prodigal son was really not the hero of the story. You've all heard of the story of the prodigal son. And it seemed like that the prodigal son was the, the hero. But the father, and, and, and maybe it should be called the prodigal's father, or the prodigal's papa. That would be a much more uh, you know, believable uh, title after you understand how the story goes. Because the papa was the hero. He genuinely was, you know, showing us how much our papa, God, loves us. That's what the story was doing. Listen to what it says here in Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And he didn't question his father's love. He knew his father was a fair man. He knew all that, and he knew his father would accept him back home. Although he had wasted all of his dad's money, and he had lived riotous living and ungodly ways, and he knew, but he knew his dad loved him. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. His father had often looked down that old dirt road where he saw his son walk away from him at. And he was always looking down there and saying a prayer for him and hoping that one day, and, and this day, he was looking down that road and lo and behold, here comes his son who had taken the dad, his inheritance from dad and went and wasted it until a famine came and he lost everything. And it says... 
And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. He didn't have, boy, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I told you this is going to happen. You got what you deserve? Not at all. He said, filled with love and compassion. Father ran. Father ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. I'm talking about a papa's presence. I'm talking about our heavenly papa God's presence. But here, this prodigal son's dad is teaching us a lesson about our papa God. And it says he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. And he welcomed him just as he was back home. And he helped get him cleaned up and he helped him get his life back together. Genuinely, he did. Abraham Lincoln, uh, father of our nation, was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners. How are you going to treat those rebellious Southerners when they had finally been defeated and returned to the Union? And the questioner expected Lincoln to take vengeance. But Lincoln said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. And that's how our Papa God is. Have you missed the mark? Have you fallen away from God? Well, God just says, just as you are, just come on back. I'm going to treat you the same way the prodigal son's dad treated him. I love you, son. And he hugged him and he kissed him and he killed the fatted calf and had a feast for him. He was so good to have him back, you know. And that's how God treats us. It's the wonder of the love of God. It genuinely is. And I'll bet you, if we could go back in history and find all those who knew that son, I bet you, years to come, a lot of people said about the prodigal son, he's just like his papa. He's loving, he's patient, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's full of kindness, just the way his papa was. And you know what? Our heavenly father, our papa God who welcomes us and loves us, ain't nothing would honor him anymore than when we we become more and more like him. And would to God that would be the case for you and for me. Romans chapter 8 Verse 15, this is a fantastic chapter here, Romans 8. It's just got everything in it. But I'm going to read it to you out of the Message Bible. After you've read it thousands of times in other translations, you're ready to read it in another one, and it's just like, this is wonderful. I just really enjoyed it. And it goes on to say, this resurrection life, Romans 8, 15, this resurrection life that you receive from God This resurrection life, this new life that we've tapped into after Jesus rose from the dead, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid. Timid means nervous or or shy or fearful or faint-hearted. It says this resurrection life that you receive from God is not a timid grave-tending. It's not a timid grave-tending life. Only thinking about Jesus as being dead. Going out to the cemetery often just to polish up the tombstone. Put some new flowers on the tombstone. Just thinking about Jesus. Thinking about him being dead. So that's not what it's about. This resurrection life, I'm telling you, Jesus rose from the dead. And it says this resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, grave-tended life. No, it's adventurously expectant. This resurrection life is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Boy, this message translation right here, Romans 8, 15, I didn't put that there. That was there, but I sure liked it. This this adventurously expectant life, light, This expectant life, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? What's next? I know we got this virus going on right now. 
I know there's all kinds of chaos in this old world that's going on right now, but what next? What, what you got in store? What you want me to do next? What are we going to do together, you know, next? What's next, Papa? Verse 16 says, God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. You know, we're, we're kids of the most high God. That's who we are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father, Papa, and children. That's what I'm talking about. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Off Romans chapter 8 there, just read the whole thing. In several different translations, there is so much life in that chapter of Romans. Oh, it's so wonderful. What's next, Papa? Should always be part of our prayer. What's next, Papa? What you got in store next? What you want me to do? Next, what are we going to do together? Next, Papa. At the end of a five-day retreat for families affected by disabilities, a microphone was passed around to all the participants uh, to share a couple of sentences about how meaningful and how much fun the week had been. Little freckled-faced, red-haired Jeff raised his hand. We were so excited to see what Jeff would say because Jeff had won the hearts of all at the family retreat. Jeff has Down syndrome. And he took the microphone and he put it right up to his mouth and he said, let's go home. That was it. Let's go home. Later, his mother explained that Jeff really missed his dad back home. His dad couldn't come because he had to work. And even though Jeff had had a great fun-filled week, he was ready to go home because that's where his daddy was. Do you ever miss your papa God? So you just can't wait to get up in the morning and talk to him or sing him a song or read his word and hear from him? you ever miss papa God? Well, I can tell you this for sure. He misses you because he's crazy about you. He loves you. And he, ain't, he can't spend enough time with you where you're aware of his presence. That's just the way it is. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who believed him, John 1, 12 says, But to all, and what percentage is all? 100%. Did y'all see that shirt that our brother had up there that said one, it had the big old cross there and it had 100% on his shirt? I figured he had to make that, you know. 100%, but I'm going to have to give him one of them one of these days. But to all 100% who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed and accepted him, he gave the right that we can become the children of God. To all who believe and to all who accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's like orphans who now have a papa who loves them and cares for them and is going to be there for them. It's just like, you, you love me like that? You're going to take care of You're not going to hold... My, my background against me are the things that I used to do. You're going to forgive all that? And you're going to love me and be crazy about me like that? Oh, and God knows everything about us. He loves us. I'm talking about Papa's presence. It changes us when our Papa accepts us as we are. And he helps us become more and more like him. He genuinely he genuinely does. It says in verse 13, John 1, 13, they are reborn, those who believe and accept him. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from where? From God. A birth that comes from God. That's where that term about being born again. You got a brand spanking new start, starting all over again. I'd like to read you. This little article I came across about dad's glimpse of heaven. His last words left us with something to look forward to by Edna 
Hershberger. At 4 a.m., the nurse woke Dad to give him a breathing treatment. Mr. Hershberger, do you know where you are? Goshen Hospital, he answered politely, and then he closed his eyes again. She wrapped the blood pressure cuff around his arm. Mr. Hershberger, who's the president of the United States? Dad looked at me with that expression that said, do I have to answer these silly questions? In the middle of the night, she raised her voice. Mr. Hershberger, who's the president of the United States? Do we have one? He asked her. Good answer, Dad, I teased. The nurse laughed loudly, and she gave him a mock punch on the shoulder. Put an oxygen mask over his face, and she turned on the noisy machine. I guess you're awake and alert. A week or two, that's how long the doctor said that Dad might live. And we wanted to make the most of every minute. I was glad to sit with my father-in-law during the night while my husband, Dwight, slept on a sofa in the visitor's lounge down the hall. Sweet memories. I brushed the damp hair from his forehead, and I wondered how it feels to know that you'll soon see God. It feels good, Dad said, without hesitating. It feels good to know I'm going to see God soon. It's such a mystery. Tell us what you feel and, and see and hear to help us understand what you're experiencing. I'll try, he promised. Are you scared? No, he said. I feel at peace. I've been wishing to go to heaven all day. <laughs> that was Tuesday night. In four days, Dad would be transferred to the nursing center where he hoped he would never have to go. I thought about Dad falling asleep and not waking up. There were some things I wanted to tell him. Hey, Dad, soon after Dwight and I started dating, he told me that you said about me, what you said about me, that you told him that he had picked a good one. <laughs> and you told him I was a peach. <laughs> no one ever called me a peach before. And I've loved you ever since, Dad. He squeezed my hand and closed his eyes. I'd better be quiet and let you sleep. I apologize. No, he said quickly. I want you to keep talking. I just can't keep my eyes open. Suddenly, Dad jumped as though startled by something. And I sat up, held both of his hands in mine and put my face close to his. Is something wrong, Dad? His eyes were open, but he didn't seem to see me. I'm leaving. I thought I heard him say in a weak voice, did you say I'm leaving? I asked. I'm leaving, he repeated more distinctly. He surely couldn't mean dying. Not yet. I tried to think of some appropriate last words to say in case this really was the end, but my mind went blank. I started to say, I love you, but he interrupted me with one word, it sounded like cold. Oh, you're cold. I tried to reach for a blanket, but he wouldn't let go of my hands. He tensed and quickly spelled it for me. With emphasis on the G sound. G-O-L-D. Gold. G-O-L-D. D, he said, gold and silver, G-O-L. I was shivering. My heart was pounding. I leaned my head against the cold metal bed rail. Lord, please, carry him gently, I prayed. We love you, Dad. I kept repeating as he took four long, shuddering breaths and then was still. His hands became limp. I should call the nurse, I thought, but I couldn't move. I sat there in the darkness holding Dad's badly bruised hands with intravenous fluid still running into them. 
My forehead seemed fused to that bed rail and tears ran down my cheeks. Six inches from my face, something supernatural had occurred. Something far greater than my mind could absorb. I know God was in the room, but I couldn't see or or feel him. And I longed to be able to see what dad had seen. I gently lay dad's head, his hand down on the bed and I walked out to the nurse's desk. I dried my cheeks and I blew my nose. Excuse me, I said. My father-in-law is gone. She jumped out of her chair. What do you mean, gone? He just died, I said with a sob. That can't be, she stammered. He was just joking with me just a few minutes ago. She grabbed her stethoscope and she rushed into his room, turning on lights and calling his name. And I walked on down the hall to tell my husband that his father had just gone to heaven. And there really is golden streets there. Heaven is real. Heaven is as real as anything you have ever seen or experienced. Any place you have ever traveled to, it's real. And we will see all of our loved ones again who had put their trust in Jesus. We will be there with them. Papa's presence. He will see us from this old planet here into the place that he has prepared for you and me. Listen to what he said in John 14, verse 1 in the Message Bible. He says, don't let us, don't let this throw you. You trust God. This is Jesus talking. You trust God, Papa God, don't you? Well, trust me. There's plenty of room for you in my father's home. There's plenty of room for you in Papa God's house. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. That's a promise. One day, I will live with him. One day, I'm going to kick off my shoes and I'm going to slide down those streets of gold with my socks on if God let me, and I'm pretty sure he will. And you already know the road I'm taking. In verse 5, Thomas said, Oh, hold on, Master. We have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road? (laughs) I was doubting Thomas. And Jesus said in verse 6, Jesus said, I am the road. I'm the road. Also the truth and also the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to Papa God apart from me, Jesus. He's the road. He's the way. He's the truth. How do we honor somebody like Papa God? How do we honor him? We try to honor our earthly fathers and mothers. How do we honor God who has everything? You think we can get God a a new tie? Would that honor him? I don't think so. To honor him, I think it honors him when we offer him our, our love and our obedience and our time. I think it honors him. Desiring to be like him, I think that greatly honors him. And as your life reflects him, people can see him in your your life. I think that honors him. And to stand for what he stands for, it honors him. Like father, like son, like father, like daughter. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just about done here. Several months ago, our family went to a swimming pool. I was down in the deep end by the diving board swimming around, and my four-year-old, Savannah, she came tottering into the shallow end of the pool. She can't swim yet, but she wears these great big old orange floaties, and she can't sink when she wears these big old orange floaties. You know, they're just big, and they float so well. 
Savannah came down the steps, and as soon as she got out there in the water, she said, Daddy, I'm scared. I want to come to where you are. I chuckled at her naivety. And I said, Savannah, it's a lot deeper down here. She said, I don't care. I want to be where you are. I want to be where you are. Okay, come on, I said. She began dog paddling across the pool. Three foot, six foot, nine foot, 12 foot deep water. And when she came up to me, she grabbed my neck and her look of panic gave way to relief. (sighs) Next to her father, her papa, she felt secure. And it made very little difference how deep or how dangerous the water was. And that's the cry of my heart. And maybe that's the cry of your heart. Papa God, I want to be where you are. I don't want to be on my own. I don't want to have to clean up the messes or chart my own course. I want to, even if it's dangerous, even if the water is deep and dangerous, I want to be where you are, Papa God. It says, last verse I want to read you. Psalm 16, verse 11. Actually, I got one more verse I got to share. But it says here, you will show me the path of life. Talking about Papa God. You, Papa God, will show me the path of life. That's Jesus. In your presence, Papa God, is fullness of joy. That's where joy, lots of times we're looking for joy in life. We're looking through new things and buy this and have some of that. But it says... You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And that's what the world is missing, the presence of God that brings an absolute phenomenal joy that satisfies us deep down on the inside. I got a little scripture my wife tore part of the page off earlier here tonight. But it says in Mark 16, verse 19, when Jesus, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with the disciples, with them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples, they went everywhere. This is the last time he commissioned them. He told them what to do. And the disciples went everywhere. And they preached. They shared God's word. And they preached the Lord, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. You know, right before I came to church, a friend of mine, Buck, he called me. He said, Pastor, I, I got to tell you something. I said, tell me, what is it? He said, if I was taking a hot water heater to the dump, and I went and I dropped it off there at the dump. And as I turned around, there's a little, little building there where someone, I reckon they opened and closed the gate for you. And there was a woman. He said, hey, how you doing? And he asked her, he said, how's your husband doing? Because he knew he had cancer and he had a lot of treatments. And she opened the door and she says, well, you can talk to him. Here he is. And he asked him, he said, well, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm not feeling too good. I've had these treatments and all. And they chatted for just a few moments. And Buck said, well, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be praying for you. He said, well, thank you. And then Buck cranked up his truck and he headed on home. And before he got too far down the road, the Lord spoke to his heart. And he said, you said you was going to pray for him. So he was a little under conviction. So he turned around, drove back in the parking lot, pulled over on the side of the road and started praying for the guy. He said, God convicted him. He says, that's not really praying for him. He's right over there. So Buck pulled back over there and the lady said, well, what you doing? He said, well, I'm, I came back to pray for him. So he got out and he went there and he put his hands on the back of the guy's neck and he prayed for him. And then a little later on, some family members called him up and said he went back to the doctor the doctor says, you don't have no cancer. I'm telling you, Papa's presence makes all the difference in the world.
all the difference in the world. It says here in verse 20, And the disciples went everywhere and they preached, and the Lord worked through them. And God's nudging us to nudge someone else a little closer to Jesus, to say a little prayer that they accept Christ, or to pray for something that's going on in their life. And it says, And the disciples went everywhere and they preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said, because what they were saying was God's word, The Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And I'm telling you, the God who we serve, he still performs many miraculous signs. Even in such a time as this, when we can get all bent out of shape and all upset and wondering, what's the world coming to? But I'm going to tell you something. Papa's presence, it changes everything. I don't care how deep the water is or how dangerous it is. As long as I'm with you, I'm going to be okay. I know that. As long as I'm with you and I'm saying what you tell me to say, there's some miraculous stuff that's going to take place in in the lives of people around about us. I know I've probably gone too long, especially since I'm only preaching to one person in here, except the other two people who's up in the booth making sure I'm still working. But I want you to know God loves you. He's crazy about you and living in Papa's presence is life changing it is life changing because he loves you and you just want to be around him and he sure wants to be around you so would you reaffirm your faith in Christ with me right now as we pray and maybe you don't know him in a personal way but he sure wants you to We've talked about a lot of earthly dads and all we saw is we saw a little bit of the nature of God as we saw these earthly fathers. But I'm going to tell you, God is so much better than the most wonderful earthly dad. He loves you. Would you open up your life? Receive his son Jesus. Would you let him flood you with his life and wash your sins away? Would you pray with me right now? Let's bow our heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe he gave his life on the cross to wash my sins away. And I believe he rose from the dead. And that resurrection life is available to me. I accept that life. I accept the forgiveness and I hunger for a relationship with you. I declare that Jesus is my Savior. Papa God, I love you. And I want to be where you are. I want to know your presence every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.